Welcome to the NCEA podcast. I'm Colleen McCoy-Sika, Director of Professional Learning for NCEA. This podcast is sponsored by William H. Sadlier. For over 188 years, Sadlier has been providing meaningful catechetical and proven academic resources for Catholic educators. When the podcast is over, check out Sadlier's two grammar and writing programs at www.sadlierschool.com. My guest today is Ellen Edmonds, Vice President of Learning for William H. Sadlier. Ellen's background and experience includes providing professional learning and support for classroom teachers and school leaders in the U.S. and abroad. Ellen is here today to talk about the importance of effective grammar instruction. Ellen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to have you with me. Would you like to share a little bit more about yourself with the listeners and why you believe this topic is so important to educators right now? Absolutely. Well, I live in North Carolina. I have been a part of the Sadlier team for uh, nine years. And my background prior to that was classroom educator, uh, coach for teachers, both in English language arts and math. I worked as an interventionist with students. I worked as a school administrator and a district administrator. And so I have uh, public school experience as well as um, private Catholic school experience. And I love working with educators. It's one of the things that excites me most. And I have to confess, I'm a grammar nerd. So my personal uh, approach to grammar is not one that I would talk about instructionally, but I'm the kind of person who sends text messages and paragraphs and has to hold my hand tightly so that I don't correct other people's grammatical errors. And I think that in today's world, we think about grammar really differently than we did in the past because we have all types of software that we think does uh, th those software packages do all the work for us but we need to teach grammar i totally agree and i too am a fellow grammar nerd i love grammar i love comma rules i um i, I don't know i i'm right there with you so what I, i'm not i'm not sure um Let's do our best to get other people who are listening today as excited about grammar as you and I are. Let's, that, that'll be our goal for this conversation. Great. <laughs> it's a challenge. Um, okay, so teaching grammar. Now, it, before you and I you know, jumped on the recording here, um, we we're talking a little bit about you know, really the history of of grammar in the classroom. And, and when you think back to elementary school, and I used to teach, I taught junior high and high school. So definitely when I was teaching junior high, there was a lot of time spent on grammar, on teaching, um, you know, proper everything. The tenses, let's look at commas, let's look at punctuation, let's look at sentence structure, let's look at parts of speech, all really great stuff. Um, it was dry then, and kids do not have the same attention spans or the same engagement with material now um, as even they did then. So let's talk a little bit about how we can bring um, some, let, let's talk about gr teaching grammar in the 20, 21st century, really. And one of the biggest things that has changed is technology. So I didn't really get to teach technology with too much, or I didn't get to teach grammar with too much technology. So let's start 
with that. With, with the electronic devices um, being available to students, correcting the grammar, correcting the writing, how can teachers motivate students or how do teachers motivate students to learn the value of grammar instruction, of them just knowing it themselves? What do you think, Ellen? Well, you know, I think ultimately you can motivate middle and high school students by helping them understand that it is great that you have something that does the work for you, but that's not always available to you. And Forbes and LinkedIn really recently did studies and they found that individuals who use correct grammar in conversations, who use correct grammar in their emails, in their writing, uh, mm -hmm. are more likely to be hired, more likely to be retained, more likely to be promoted. And I think by the time students get to middle school, they start to think about making money and uh, being employed, and, and that certainly continues into high school. So understanding that it, it is relevant to their long-term success and that they can't depend on what's available on a device as the, the way that they take care of their knowledge. And I think it's also important and fun to see the impact in communication. So students are so social in middle and high school, and of course they text with each other, but they also chat and they do communicate in writing, they don't think about the, the writing they do, but helping them understand how much more effective their communication is when they're using the conventions of standard English correctly uh, can be pretty powerful. And there's a lot of fun that you can have with it. We all know those kind of funny things uh, that have resulted from uh, incorrect grammar. And we also know that there are some really important legal situations that have resulted in financial distress for companies because of incorrect use of grammar. So mm -hmm. lots of different ways to alert students to its importance. And I think for teachers, it's also important for them to know that they need to change the way that they teach. We've been teaching grammar the same way since the 1740s. My grandmother's taught grammar the way that mm -hmm. lots of teachers teach grammar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let me, let me dig back into something that you just said that I, I hadn't thought about um, too much, really, but that is that development of um, kind of a casual voice that students get used to using because they are using written text so frequently. So whether it's through text messaging, usually and mostly it probably is through text messaging, some email, but mostly texting. And so students get used to writing in a very casual way, um, not necessarily using proper uh, grammatical conventions. And the way that that carries over into career and being taken seriously in the professional world, that is that really is a great motivator to, um, to explain to students because students always want to know, well, why do I need to know this? Why is this relevant to my life? And you know what you were just saying about that uh, the relevance to the professional world and if especially if there are studies if there are statistics saying you know the people who have a grasp of this particular skill this is where those people go that is very motivating so thank you for sharing that i love that the um idea of 
learning conventions of, of standard English. Now, you and I know it's important and, and we love it and we love proper English and I have a really hard time not using proper English even when I am texting. I am one of those people. Um, but in what ways does learning the conventions of English, grammar instruction, um, support students in their writing? Why do we have to learn the conventions of English in order to support good writing? Well, I think there, there are different types of writing, but clearly to communicate effectively, you do need to have the structure of your language uh, make sense. And that means understanding punctuation. It, it means understanding parts of speech, not that you have to say this is a noun or this is a verb, but understanding that. And it's also important for keeping people's interest. If I, I want to get your attention, if I have to read many text messages, they get pretty boring. They're, they're not intended to be strung together in a sort of piece that communicates very much. They're intended to be brief snippets of information, which is why we get away with not worrying about grammar, not worrying about syntax at all. We, we often use what I think of as two-year-old sort of telegraphic speech as opposed to uh, really sustained sentences that are high interest. So, you know, I think the other, one of the ways we help students really get into using the conventions of standard English in, in their writing is also by having them read pieces of text and having them see what you are able to communicate when you move past a two-word sentence uh, with a, a subject and a predicate and how that allows you to let people know your feelings and being able to talk about something you love like basketball and, and talk about your sweaty body and your stinky socks and getting someone to feel like they're there with you in the moment has a lot of power to it and students have a voice they know they have a voice but getting them to recognize how much stronger that voice is when they're using language to communicate it's really important for them it is and because you know again going back to the way most students um, communicate throughout the course of the day with as few words as possible, right? In a text, they don't want to be using too many words. So trying to expand those skills to use more words, to be more descriptive. One of the things, okay, so again, I'm listening to you and, and what it's making me think of is, um, you know, things that I, I used to do as a teacher, um, I would take things like newspaper headlines and take those snippets of headlines and give them to students and say, you know, translate this, uh, take this very short minimalistic headline and make it into something that is uh, descriptive and, and florid and, you know, use really interesting language to expand that. And now we could probably get students to do that by giving them text messages. Take this text message and translate it into a paragraph, make it more descriptive. And so taking something that is relevant to them and using it in a lesson. Um, I just, I think that, I think you're right. You know, the more that we can uh, help them to 
embrace and appreciate the descriptiveness and the richness of language, the better off we're going to be um, in terms of guiding them in their writing. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for those insights. What, um, so what do you what do you think are the types of instructional practices today that teachers should be incorporating into their teaching? Let's delve more into that. Well, we know that the way we used to teach grammar, and, and I love sentence diagramming, but for most people it's deadly and it didn't, <coughs> excuse me, really have an impact on students' writing. It didn't stick and it didn't make a difference. So we know that it really is important to use proven approaches to teaching grammar. One thing that works quite well is a mini lesson. So not 40 minutes or 30 minutes of grammar, but 10 or 15 minutes, and then immediately applying it. First, just to make sure that you've understood, so really focused practice, and not a lot of that. And then applying it in the context of the writing that you do and seeing it in the reading, so integrating it as a teacher with the rest of what you are doing instructionally makes a very big difference. Um, we need for students to be able to apply what they've learned and we need for students to have models and, and see that application and students in, in classes are doing quite a bit of reading and the text that they read tends to be complex and so having them use what they've learned about grammar to better understand what they read because it does improve your reading comprehension makes a big difference. So that mini lesson with focused practice and then the application in writing is important. But there are also some instructional strategies that are proven to make a difference in students' writing. And the three we see most, and the research tends to give the most credence to, are sentence imitation, so seeing good writing examples. Uh, sentences mm -hmm. that are, are structured well, and it helps if uh, you were talking about relevance to students. Sometimes mm -hmm. what we do as teachers is uh, provide the loftiest models possible, our favorite author or someone we think is, you know, uh, a real hero in the craft, and actually students find seeing the type of writing their peers would do um, as more relevant and more doable, more achievable. So giving them sentences that they can imitate is helpful. Um, it's helpful to have students expand their sentences, and that's some of what you're talking about when you're saying, you know, take their text messages and, and tell them to really think about communicating more effectively around that. So expand those uh, little short phrases and, and make them into sentences that are more descriptive sentences. And then sentence combination. So, you know, there are two things about sentence combination. One, of course, you know, having a, a sentence that is uh, a little more robust in terms of what it's covering uh, is more interesting to read. But in order to combine two sentences, I have to really understand something about the structure of those sentences. You know, do they have a common subject? Is there, you know, I need to understand how to combine them and so I have to get the structure of the sentences that I'm thinking about combining not just in terms of are they sort of thematically related but you know is there a way to effectively combine them because of the the common clause or the common subject or the common predicate so mm -hmm. um, those are really effective strategies it also works really well to have students um, 
edit, peer edit. We we don't edit our own writing very effectively in our heads. We make the corrections. Right. So teaching students to edit each other's work, and you were talking about technology. That's you know one of the great things about technology is being able to share a document and chat to, with each other as you're doing that, and that makes it a little um, less daunting for someone to give feedback in that way. So it's a, it's a nice approach. Do you, I'm just curious, do you, have you found with, with um, using peer review in, in the writing process that technology has made that easier? Has it enhanced it? Or is there something about reading uh, electronic print that doesn't quite, um, you know, register in the brain the same way that that written um, written words do? Uh, do kids struggle a little bit trying to read other people's handwriting? Has electronic text actually made that part simpler? Do you have any insights on that? I think it depends on the grade level uh, to a certain extent. Younger children really benefit from the physical act of writing and there's mm -hmm. you know, a lot of, of brain power that, that comes from that. But the actual process of editing is uh, and revising you know, those two parts of our writing work is so much more effective when you're using technology. And I, I'm sure you know, you're way younger than I am, but I can remember writing papers and, in high school and actually typing them. And then when you needed to edit them, it was this arduous process of, of marking them up you know, pencil paper and then going back and retyping everything. Yes. And, yep. and so, you know, that, that was deadly for students and nobody wanted to edit, but now that you can revise and edit so easily and it's so easy for someone to make comments and use uh, standard editing uh, approaches and, and standard feedback approaches uh, so that, that if today, you know, you're providing my feedback, but tomorrow some other student is, I don't have to try to understand what their approach is to, to giving me that feedback. So that consistency is, is helpful. So there's some give and take in terms of whether it's done paper pencil or whether it's done with technology. But I think in most cases now, certainly after we move into fourth or fifth grade, there's some real advantage to doing it the way we're going to do it the rest of our lives. We don't do much of that kind of work. Yeah. Um, as college students and as adults, um, there are, I, you know, I certainly have some author friends who still like the old fashioned way, but for the mm -hmm. most, for the most part, we rely on technology and it's good to learn what you're going to do the rest of your life. So, um, I, I yeah. think that's, I mean, I, I agree in the efficiency of it. It just makes so much sense. I was just curious um, about that because I, you know, honestly, when people send me, Hey, can you, you know, read this over for me? Sometimes I actually, even if it's, you know, typed, I don't know what it is. If it's on my screen, I read it differently than if I print it out on a piece of paper. I don't know why it's, it's maybe my old brain. I don't know, but sometimes I also put on my text reader and I listen to it being read to me and I process it differently that way as well. I guess that's just another benefit of having electronic print for students to, you know, there's just accessibility, um, different accessibility to the text that way when, when kids can listen. I know as a 
you know, as an adult in my professional life, I certainly do that. So it's not cheating. (laughs) I think you're right. There are times where all of us uh, do better if we have the the printed copy and we can um, massage what we're we're reading in that way uh, and make make the suggested changes to it. There are times when listening to it allows us to hear something that's not as smooth as it, you know, it might be when we are reading it silently. So there are, there are lots of different supports that we can take advantage of and, and taking advantage of all of them helps students find what works best for them. And that's really the ultimate goal is for students to own the process for themselves and find what works for them. And, mm-hmm. and continue to use that. So exposing them to lots of different approaches to help them along the way. Um, and you know we can certainly take advantage of the grammar tools that are available. The problem is the grammar tools don't have enough artificial intelligence to be able to tell what's in your brain. So they make assumptions mm-hmm. about what you're trying to say um, and they yeah. make assumptions about what you mean when you use a word a particular way or, or punctuate in a particular way. They don't know the emphasis that you're trying to make. So we want students to recognize that that needs to be in their minds and not rely on something externally. And unfortunately, when we talk, we don't have those editorial tools, those grammar tools uh, as a part of our, our brain if we've not worked through the process ourselves and learned it ourselves and that's where the LinkedIn information and the Forbes information makes so much sense we collaborate so much in the working world and that's all oral and we don't have technology to take care of our grammatical errors for us yeah yeah well you know just going back to um, what you were saying a few minutes ago about mimicking the style. Uh, actually, there were there were two things that you said that, that really stood out to me. And one was about the idea of um, doing some mini practice with uh, grammatical exercises bef- and then incorporating it into writing. You know, that the whole notion of, you know, practice makes perfect in grammar and writing. We used to really beat grammar exercises to death. Like it really was um, it was dry and it was difficult and very boring. And we would just spend um, a lot of time just doing grammar exercises out of context. Um, what I heard you saying was, uh, you know, a little bit of mini practice, grasping the concept and then getting it into the practice of writing uh, a little bit more quickly than we used to is probably the better way to go about doing that. Um, but mimicking style, I really love that example. Um, and that is again, going along with what you just said about the, the LinkedIn and the um, Forbes studies of students being able to develop their own style, their own voice without the interruption of um, the electronic uh, suggestions. And, you know, uh, the way that it suggests, the way that sometimes the electronic editor will suggest that you use grammar or choose particular words or uh, phrase something, as you were saying, um, students, when they're mimicking the style of another author, of an anchor author, um, you know, then they really can 
really push aside those suggestions because the words that they're choosing and the way that they're structuring what they're saying is intentional to mimic another author. I really loved that example. And um, I, even though that, that actually is a, that's a practice that, I mean, I certainly used to teach years and years ago, but that is also very relevant now. So I, I like how we can take things. I mean, we're talking about teaching grammar in the 21st century and all the ways that, you know, things can be updated, but there are still some great things that we've done in the past that are still relevant and we just need to make them engaging. Absolutely. You know, we certainly know that the old drill and kill ways uh, were, were not best practices. And unfortunately, it meant that we actually set aside grammar instruction for a long time because studies suggested that it wasn't effective. Now, mm -hmm. studies that are, have been made of best practice instruction show the impact for all students and particularly for English learners and the impact on writing and reading and all types of communication. But, you know, if we think about authors and the craft of being an author, sometimes authors choose to ignore conventions of standard English to help set a tone or to tell us about the person that's speaking in dialogue. If we think about some of the um, works that are classics, we know that that was a part of what was done. If you, you think about that idea of I want someone to know this person's highly educated or, or um, elderly or um, that they're not well educated. Those kinds of things come across because of the way that language is used and so students need to be so comfortable with that that if they're interested in narrative writing or informational writing that mm -hmm. they can take advantage of that knowledge and, and have their own craft. Yeah, great. Well, Ellen, thank you so much for this conversation today, for the insights that you've provided and some really practical takeaways for people in the classroom, teaching writing and teaching grammar. Um, Ellen Edmonds, thank you so much for joining me today, um, as well as our listeners for downloading, subscribing and sharing this NCEA podcast with their communities. Special thanks to Sadlier for sponsoring this episode and all their support. Um, for our schools and to NCEA. Ellen, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. It was fun. Yeah, it was fun. Um, <laughs> we'll have to talk grammar again sometime. Thank you so much. And listeners, have a great day. We'll see you next time on the NCEA podcast.